Netfront Presence is brought to you by Closets by Design. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Imagine your home totally organized. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. That's 1-800-BY-DESIGN. Welcome to NetFront Presents. I'm Jeff Gordon of the Post-Dispatch, joined by our beat reporter, Matthew DeFranks, from down in South Florida, where it's, uh, he's already shown me a picture of the uh, the palm trees out back, so very nice. Uh, here in St. Louis, not so many palm trees. But, Matt, let's just jump right in and start with the, uh, let's go back in time just a bit and uh, to last week, and uh, Drew Bannister takes over as coach. And uh, right away, we get a little uh, Jordan Cairo drama that the uh, team had to kind of overcome and Jordan had to overcome. But um, we'll just call that a learning experience for Jordan. Yeah, it was a it was a weird night on Thursday. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever you know, been a part of that. I'm sure. I mean, I know it happens before with different teams and, and even the Blues way back in the day, uh, Pronger and, and Oates. Right. Um, but the fact that it was it happened uh, so quickly, it, it was almost like the Internet kind of came to life that day uh when you know I, I showed up before the game I wasn't really expecting much because I didn't know how many people in the actual crowd would have seen uh you know the the tweet from Jeremy Rutherford of the athletic um about Jordan Cairo and what he said about Fred Ruby I just didn't think that everyone lived on the internet and was aware enough and, and knowledgeable enough to to have that and bring that into the game but once they had uh, his name announced at the uh, the starting lineup introduction and you heard it wasn't an overwhelming amount of booze, honestly, the whole night, but you heard some discontent from the crowd. Uh, I didn't quite know what uh, what the rest of the night would hold, honestly. Uh, and then, you know, in the first period, he's getting booed every time he touched the puck. Second period, it was a little more clear, uh, you know, when he's taking the puck through the neutral zone, he has the puck uh, on his stick for, you know, five seconds or something you could hear them kind of swelling up a little bit more and yeah, just, just a really odd experience overall um, to, to witness that. And by the third period, you kind of, kind of felt bad for him a little bit. And, and I know he, he obviously heard it and he, uh, he had his emotions the way that he, he talked about it post game, but just, just a weird night, just a weird night. Doro. Yeah. And I think this thing goes back with, with, with Cairo. Um, obviously last year was a difficult year for the entire team and it really was, Ultimately, I think would set the stage for Chief getting dismissed. It was a bad year. A lot of fans blame the fact that the Blues gave Thomas and especially Cairo those big extensions to kick in this season. Um, when the when the team did that, and somehow that that there was rumblings that that caused uh, unrest with the team because there were veteran players who had expiring contracts. In fact, veteran players with expiring contracts who who would eventually move on last season so it became this thing has been an issue for a while uh the reality is though um they were always going to have to make it work with jordan Cairo and robert thomas and mm -hmm. they're always going to be the future thomas has really responded well and uh you know matthew now it's time for jordan to respond well we we know he's talented but it takes more than talent yeah and and like i think the the biggest frustration um from fans uh and and even from from us it's from time to time is that we've seen jordan kairu play the right way before like, like he shows it in flashes and earlier this season you know when he wasn't scoring uh as much and he was still doing the right things away from the puck he was back checking hard he was winning battles he was breaking up plays 
he was doing those things that the Blues really asked him to do last year at exit meetings, right? That was a big thing that he can't have uh, an off night and have it be minus three. Um, his off nights need to be a little bit more even because of the way he plays away from the puck. So we saw we saw that early on in the season. And then, you know, in the last maybe week or two before Berube got fired, it, it kind of went away. And when you see the, the four-game losing streak and you see the way Kairou goes, uh, it, it can be a, a little bit of a, a causation correlation situation where – you know, he might not be the, the main issue on the Blues, but he is an issue. And when you see the L's pop up, it becomes a, a little bit more extra uh, emphasis on him. And, you know, particularly, you know, that that Detroit game, the, the last game of, of Craig Ruby's tenure, he loses that board battle mm-hmm. on the wall and Detroit scores an empty net goal. Um, you know, after the game, Chiefs just says that, yeah, that's just a battle. That's just a play that that can't happen. He needs to either get it deep, or win the battle. Um, you just can't be giving up the game right there. And uh, and who knew that that would be the last that we saw of Tred Ruby as the the Blues head coach. So, you know, as you mentioned, the the contracts play into it. I'm sure as well from a fan perspective. And I think you and I are on the same page where we both still think that the uh, the contract's going to be worth it in in the long run. Uh, you know, he scored 37 goals last year. I know he's he's not on that pace this year, uh, but the, the chances he's generated, the shots he's generated have generally been there. The shooting percentage is not. So at some point, it should even out. Um, who knows if it will or not. But the contract itself was, uh, I still think, is, is fine. It's the, the inconsistency that you see from him um, playing well at times, doing things the right way and then coming back a few games later and not doing those things and really having a, a, a negative impact on the team when he's on the ice. Yeah. Let's talk for just one more second about a few more seconds about maturation. You know, we uh, <clears throat> sat there after the uh, exit interviews and then the exit interview uh, media session where one person after another came in and discussed some of the things that went awry with the team. And I don't think anybody volunteered the name Jordan Cairo during all of that um, process there. Um, although I think Chief was certainly asked about him, but it went on and on. Like, And then finally Cairo comes out and this is, people have spent, I don't know, about an hour talking about what went wrong and <laughs> the team. And, and most of them, I mean, it just kept coming back to one guy in, you know, without it being fleshed out as such. And then he comes out and he's, and he, says a few things and but you could tell that his exit interview didn't go well and he must have been aware that his ears must have been burning and i just keep going back to that day and then how uncomfortable he was at the end of that whole session because he was already put on the pedestal coming into this season you know things had to change and it really had to start with him so all of that as a backdrop uh jordan had to kind of pull his head out and uh, make amends and uh well he took steps in that direction anyways yeah and and like what we talked about bigger picture beginning of the season, like we, we both had, you know, realistic expectations for this group as a, a, a maybe a fourth, fifth place team in the central uh, bubble playoff team, wrong side, mid eighties, high eighties points wise. Like, but this season was supposed to be about developing the prospects at, at the lower levels uh, and about getting Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo to star status. Right. Uh, to take them from 70, 80 points to, to 90, 100 points and see if they could get there, see if they could be franchise cornerstones to build around. Because that's 
they are the reasons why this Blues team isn't in a rebuild, right? They see those guys, they see the age, the talent, the the contract, and they say, why should we rebuild only to get younger versions of these two guys in four or five years when we already have them signed long-term and in the prime of their careers? So seeing those guys develop into stars was was one of the, the big things to watch this season. And, and you know, Robert Thomas, you know, credit to him. He's had a great year. He's a point-per-game guy as a number-one center, taking on big matchups, first power play, first penalty kill, all situations. He's had a great year. Uh, it hasn't gone that way for Jordan Cairo. And, you know, it's one of those things where you, you wonder what is what is the ceiling? Like, is it is it a, you know, a 45-goal score? Or is it a 37-goal score that we saw the other day or, or last year? I mean, uh, what is it and when can we see it? You know, you do know that Robert Thomas is like I said, he's emerged this year. I think he's uh, tied for third in even strength uh, points, which is a good stat. Tells you about oh. his five on five play. Unfortunately, the world's worst power play has, uh, um, <laughs> well, second worst power play, depending on the day, <laughs> um, has kept him from uh, getting any more leverage, any more uh, standing among the top scorers in the league. But that is an important stat. So Robert's in good shape. Now, this team does win a couple games. A new coach bounce gets some uh, two games uh, under Drew Bannister. So let's move on to a less pleasant topic here. We'll skip past those because you expect the team to play better after the coaching change, and, and it did. It wasn't perfect, but it was better, and Cairo does have a big game uh, coming yeah, yeah, back. We, booing. we should probably mention that, the the big game on Saturday night. Yeah, the three yeah let's give up. So before we get negative, before we jump into the Tampa Bay game and depress everybody, let's, let, let's, uh, let, let's uh, pump some sunshine here. Matthew, that was a heck of a game by Cairo. Yeah, I mean the and you could tell the the crowd on Saturday was uh, moved. Maybe is uh, the proper word uh, by his his comments after Thursday's game and uh, the way that he sounded and spoke and uh, and had some tears on Thursday. You know when he had a primary assist on uh, on Brandon Sod's power play goal in that first period against Dallas. He, when he was announced in the in the arena, you could hear the crowd give a bigger ovation honestly for Jordan Kyrie than they did for for Brandon Saad uh, on the goal so you kind of knew that a a bounce back was coming from a crowd perspective you just didn't expect it to be coming from an on ice perspective as well from Jordan Kyrie uh, a goal to assist had that play in overtime that set up Golden Pareko uh, you know he was using his speed and, and going wide on guys and that's something that Drew Bannister went over with him before the game showing him clips of when he should be using his speed and going wide on guys. And uh, I mean, that's, that's a great asset for him. And he, you know, he used it that night, uh, you know, as always, it always comes back to consistency and doing that over and over again. But for one night, you know, it was, it was the right night for him to, to get back on the right track and to, you know, get back in the good races of the fans and uh, <laughs> the on bench interview with the, with Bally and, and Jamie Rivers was also uh, quite funny to see. A little salty, yeah. but you know, if you bring your kid to a hockey game, he's pro that kid's probably um, you know uh, not. He's probably accustomed to uh, to hearing and seeing some things. So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I, I would. I'm curious how many times uh, or how many kids out there that was the first time hearing the f bomb from <laughs> from Jordan Carter. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't as much fun as being uh, drenched by a beer geyser from. Um, uh, let's say Braden Shen during the cup parade uh, celebratory parade, which many children were able to get uh, actual beer on themselves 
spewed from a uh, beer geyser from uh, the future blues captain. But, you know, these things, it's all real, man. This is hockey. This is all part of the, the business, right? And it's, uh, you know, it gets real sometimes. And, and good for Jordan. You know, he's not, as we often hear people say, well, he's not a bad kid, but he's also not a kid. He's 25, right? So it's time. Yeah. And, uh, so talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned what Drew Bannister did with Jordan, showing him things and also showing some, he always shows people things they do well, but also shows them things they need to do better. So this has been a process for him, and it was a process for him with uh, Jordan Cairo. And I guess it really became a bigger process when um, the egg laying occurred there in, uh, on the shores of uh, Tampa Bay. So uh, now he's finding out what it's like to coach the Blues, right? I mean, the bump has passed, um, and the beating uh, occurred. And so now he is challenged, right? And he, but he responds. He, he doesn't seem to be afraid of the challenge. Yeah, and, and yesterday's practice uh, in Sunrise down in South Florida here was a little bit indicative of, of how he would like to respond to uh, to challenges, I guess. The first drill of the day was something that I hadn't seen all year from, from Blues practices. And essentially, they took each net, put it in, uh, in a corner on opposite ends of the ice, uh, kind of tilted towards the corner, and players went one-on-one, uh, battled for a puck in the corner, and did off a, a twitch shot. Uh, at the goalie and so that was going on 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 both ends of the ice uh, with each net and you know usually the blues open practice with uh, a little another small ice game essentially from the blue line in uh, and they they have two nets uh, close to the the walls there and they play two on two so a little bit two on two small ice uh, but this is not one on one in the corner you have nowhere to go you just have to compete and battle for the puck and you know, when I asked Drew Bannister about the drill after practice yesterday, he was basically saying, yeah, we didn't compete to start the game uh, in Tampa. So I wanted to compete to start the practice here. And it's, you know, it's telling that that was one of the, uh, you know, the focuses of, of how you design a practice is you want that competitive drill right off the top because the team didn't compete the night before. And, you know, even at one point during practice, he stopped practice and he, you know, you talked for five, 10 seconds about the need to communicate more with each other. And, you know, when, when I talked to him about that moment, he said, well, there are just so many things that can be solved by communicating with each other. And, uh, you know, that's probably something he said, they were a little bit of a quieter bunch uh, the other night. So the small things, uh, you know, matter for, for Drew Bannister at this point, because, it's only been a week or eight days or whatever it is of his tenure uh, with the the St. Louis Blues, so it's it's a small sample size. But every single you know event or action reaction is uh, is something to go off of and kind of base uh, you know what his audition is like for the job. And you know uh, Doug Armstrong was watching practice yesterday and at the uh, the arena in Sunrise, and you know I think he he made notice of that first uh, drill, the competitive battle drill, and. Um, you know, in the end, he has to show that he brings competitiveness and accountability because those are the two things that Doug Armstrong asked for from a new coach. And, you know, we'll see how it, how it all shakes out the rest of, you know, the year, however long Bannister ends up being the the coach. Um, but we've seen inklings of, of both of those things so far from him in the first week plus. Yeah, and let's, let's talk a little more about accountability. You know, there is a yeah. limit to accountability in today's game because of, you know, roster construction, cap constraints, 
Um, the, the managers of the team, the, the general managers really aren't able to make um, much in the way of changes until much closer to the trade deadline. That's the nature of the game. So uh, you have words uh, to the team as a group, to individuals. You have video review, which is, mm -hmm. you know, can be painful or it can be uplifting or both. Um, you've got practice, which you've just described, which where you can make guys, in a sense, pay a price to a degree for a poor performance, but it's a way to try to raise the compete level, but it, it can be somewhat punitive, uh, maybe not Tortorella level uh, punitive, but punitive. Um, and then ultimately too, uh, in game changes. And you saw that as well from, uh, from the new coach did not waste time. Uh, Pavel Buchnevich, we, I, uh, I'll pump his tires all day and all night. I, I love the guy, but lazy penalties, man. And uh, lazy plays leading to lazy penalties. Can't have it. Imagine your home totally organized. Closets by Design is offering 40% off plus free installation. Schedule your free consultation today. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN for details. That's 1-800-BY-DESIGN. Yeah, uh, I was intrigued, I guess I would say, uh, by Drew Bannister after the game. You know, I asked him about, uh, you know, Buchnevich not playing the last 12 and a half minutes in Tampa. And, and he basically just said, yeah, I mean, he took, three penalties. We don't need players taking penalties like that. We need them on the ice and playing well. And he's a player that we need to be playing well on the ice. And um, the, that was pretty clear. That was pretty evident from seeing the game, but when he followed it up with, this is not just a message to him. It's a message to our whole team. If you want ice time, you have to earn it. Uh, I found that was an interesting way to phrase it or, or message to send. And the, the thing that I think about, when we talk to players, coaches, management, and when they talk about other people in the organization, I most of the time envision that this is the, you know, third or fourth time that those words have been said, but the first time said to us publicly, as in whatever they say to us, they've already said to the player itself, to the team itself, to, uh, to the coach, whatever, like whenever we talk to them, I just kind of imagine that that's already happened. So I, I don't know how much time there was after the game for, for Drew Bannister to, to talk to Buchnevich or during the third period and say, hey, this, this just isn't acceptable. But the thing, uh, what's the thing I always say? Uh, players may lie, coaches may lie, but but ice time ice time never mm -hmm. lies. Uh, and ice time didn't really lie on, on Tuesday. And it, it it should be over and done with now. Uh, Buchnevich played on, or practiced on the, the first line yesterday. In sunrise, uh, no morning skate today for the Blues uh, because they're spending their hotels on Fort Lauderdale Beach. So it's 40 minutes out to the arena and back. So they don't want to do that drive uh, too many times in one day. Um, but he was on the top line with uh, Thomas and Kairou yesterday and expect him to, to be uh, receiving his normal minutes again later today. Yeah, it must be stressed with certain players. Um, you know, some guys are just sort of... Uh you know, habit habitually need um, butt uh, kicking, you know, prodding. Uh, in a case like a guy like a Buchnevich or any of the other veterans, they're going to have days like that when frustration gets the best of them. The game went horrible. It, was, it went horribly wrong. It just yeah. started and it stayed bad. Guys get frustrated, and um, and sometimes frustration leads to that versus, um, you know, they can act out and overdo it. They can become exasperated and then and play exasperated. Uh, so in the case of it's just a coaches have to find that line of resetting players without going out of their way to embarrass them. 
uh, which sometimes coaches will do. And it's a true fine line to walk, but let's face it, Drew Bannister has been given a mandate to turn things around and with um, no guarantee that this could last long at all. So he has no reason to hold back. He's got to try everything he can that he sees that he thinks he would do or that he should do. No reason to hold anything back. This is this audition could be weeks long, right? Yeah, and and like the other thing, I think there are two other things that we should probably touch on on, on this topic is it was a it was a six nothing game uh, at the time, right? So it's not like you're benching him in a, in a one goal game where you actually really need him, and that would be a a bigger message to send. I mean. This was six nothing. Uh, we know he didn't get the the power play time at the end of the game, and that was kind of the first signal that things were amiss. Uh, but it's it's easier to do in a blowout than it is in a tight game when you when you truly need that guy on the ice, uh, and you need to, and you probably harder to send a message when you have to battle back and you need him uh, contributing to your team. So that's one thing. And the other thing, Pavel Buchnevich is notoriously hard on himself. Uh, we remember that from earlier this season where he basically said uh, he's been horrible all year and he was you know, just trying to to contribute to the to team in some way, in some way. And that was during his slow start of the year. And he got going, obviously. But whatever, like, like I mentioned before, whatever Bannister says, I'm sure Buchnevich has thought himself. Uh, he's pretty honest with himself and uh, has got to be frustrated with those three penalties and uh you know, how, uh, how that makes his game look and how it makes the, the team game look. So I think those two factors are important to, to point out. I'm not sure how well Bannister knows Buchnevich's personality at this point and knows that he can do this with him and uh, kind of have the message be received because of how accountable Buchnevich is to himself. Um you know, because a lot of the veterans don't know Bannister and Bannister doesn't know all, all the veterans either. He knows the young guys from the AHL, but all these veterans, these 30 somethings, these late twenties guys, uh, they don't know each other. So I don't know if he knew that Bucinavich's personality well enough to say he knows what he's been doing wrong. He he understands it. And, uh, and we're going to be good coming on the other end of this. And that'll be uh, as they go forward. So, um, you know, and you've written about the challenge that Braden Shen has through all of this difficulty, right? Um, how important is Braden Shen through this process of being the communicator, uh, one of the communicators uh, to the coach, a guy that, again, another guy that holds himself accountable and who's good, not immune to having a bad day himself, but as a guy we all know is a heart and soul type guy. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, navigating this, um, how important uh, Braden's role will be uh, as captain in a, in a very difficult situation. And for a guy who takes his, his role very seriously. Yeah, I mean it's been uh, it's been a heck of a what ten days now for for Braden Chen. I mean, the longest tenure blue uh, is traded. Robert Bortuzzo, you know, Verana, we thought was going to be the biggest story of the week when they put him on waivers. Uh, nope, uh, coach fired. Uh, you know, star player booed. Uh, an overtime win. We, I mean, they came back from multi goals against Dallas for the first time all year. So, uh, and then it's it's just been thing after thing after thing for Braden Chen, and he's already not having the year that he would have liked or that anyone would have liked production wise worst season in at least a decade. Uh, when I looked a few days ago, it was, you know, when he was 22 years old in Philadelphia and uh, in the last few days, I'm, I'm sure his, his point pace has gone down. I'll have to relook up what his, uh, his, what the season's going to look like in terms of his career. Um, but he's mentioned at times before he's, 
thought about the pressure of being a first time captain and let that affect his play a little bit. Um, and it's not really what you, you would like to see out of a 32 year old guy who's been around the lead for, uh, 12 years or, or something like that. Um, and then the other part of me just wonders if this is just a natural decline in his game because of how he plays. Uh, he's a physical power forward that has played this way for a long time. He's been in the lead for a long time and his age just catching up to him. I know 32 isn't really super old, uh, but it is older. Right. Um, and I wonder if that's, part of it in addition to kind of the pressures of being a captain and trying to to lead a group through through all this stuff yeah you can feel it like you you can shoulder too much responsibility in his role right and that that responsibility is heavy and, and on those 32 year old legs and they've been hard years in the nhl yeah. some guys could be you know you know phil kelso played every game well you know you need hot dogs between periods right i mean it's <laughs> different style uh god bless him you know phil's a fine player just that's how phil plays but that's a lot of, it's a weight you know you feel responsibility for the group that's a lot of responsibility for a guy yeah. that's already trying to play his own game right yeah and i think the the other thing that that hasn't really helped is all of these blowouts uh you know they've been losing so many games by so many like all 15 of their regulation losses have been by multiple goals this year the the only one goal loss they have, if I'm remembering correctly, is in the season opener in a shootout in Dallas. Every other loss has been by multiple goals. Uh, they've lost, I want to say, 10, 10 games by three goals, nine games, something like that. They've lost three, three of them by five goals, which is only trailing San Jose. And so just a little inside baseball here when they do get blown out and you know, the blues PR talks to us about who we want to speak to after the game. Generally they'll ask us to choose from the four players with letters on their chests uh, for those blowout games to, to serve as spokesman for the team. So that means Braden Shen is, is talking after all, a lot of these blowout losses because he is the leader of the team and uh, you know, taking some, public vocal uh, responsibility for the game. So I'm sure the blowouts haven't helped is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And again, you're just, his role is he, he, once again, he's got to step up and assume responsibility, you know, for the group and not that he's, he doesn't mind that he wants, he wants that response. He's not hiding from it, but it, you know, re, he's a human and it, yeah. it comes with a cost. So a couple other things before we let you get back to work here, Matt, the, um, Sammy Blake gets a chance to play, it appears, because he's yep. uh, the little buzzsaw, um, got good words from Drew Bannister, who did like his play down in uh, Springfield, liked his play with the Blues, but, you know, his role is what it is. Uh, they need to find out if Sammy Blake can be a contributor, and so now Sammy's had to watch some hockey. Now Sammy's going to have to play some hockey. Yeah, and before we get to say, I just want to touch on Mundane while we're on him. Uh, I, I, I think every single game, I thought he was going to score his first goal. <laughs> it looked like he had a chance every single game to to get that first goal, uh, including against Tampa. And I, I, you know, I think he was actually pretty pretty decent in, in Tampa, um, all things considered. But yeah, Sammy Blay uh, has been healthy stretch. I believe five out of the last six games. Um, 
he was practicing on the fourth line yesterday. Expected to go back in the lineup against the Panthers tonight. And for him, he mentioned that he's just he's lacking some confidence right now. That you know there are times where he'll look back at some of his old clips to remind himself what kind of player he is in the NHL and what kind of player he can be. Because when uh, you're on the fourth line and you know when your your biggest job really your biggest attribute right now has been hitting on the forecheck. And even sometimes those hits haven't been on time enough to create stalls and create turnovers and and ozone time chances goals, right? They haven't, he hasn't been doing that enough on the forecheck. At least that was the message from Craig Berube when he was the head coach. So it, I think right now the the Blues know what, what Sammy Blay is. And I think out of the the three acquisitions last year, we, when we look at Vrana, Blay, and Kapanen, Blay was always the least likely to repeat his numbers and his performance from late in the year. But I don't think that we quite saw it going like this, where he's a, a healthy scratch pretty frequently. And so we'll see what, what he brings uh, on that fourth line. And then, you know, I, I know Majing is, uh, is a bit smaller guy, but he, he tried to play hard. But even now, look at that fourth line with Machapter and Sunquist and Blay, and uh, those are three guys that will throw the body around. Right, and uh, there is some trust there between um, uh, Bannister and and Mac Mac there, who's yeah. kind of a lot of hockey. You know, there's a guy that's he's got a significant NHL experience. Did a nice job for Carolina when he had to step into the postseason a bit last year, coming up from Chicago, and uh, his speed and little size, physicality. So it's understandable why he's getting an, an additional look. All right, last thing um, on this edition of Net Front. I, I have said on this uh, podcast that, well, look, the, this team's not going anywhere. It needs to play Scott Brunovich, see what, you know, develop this guy. Uh, apparently, Drew Bannister does not agree. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, this is one of the, the mild surprises to me so far, uh, because when I talked to Brunovich about Bannister in the AHL, he basically said, yeah, he let me play my game. He let me be free and be creative and make mistakes and I understand it's the AHL, it's a developmental league. You're going to allow your prospects to to be themselves and to do those types of things. I just would have thought some of it would have translated to the NHL at this point. And when I talked to, to Bannister the other day about the third pairing, about Scandella and Tucker, he mentions whenever he looks at the film, he likes you know what they're doing. You know, that's maybe hidden when you watch the game for the first time live. And uh when I talked to him about Tucker, I said, Hey, what, what, what are the, the aspects of Tucker's game that have translated from the AHL to the NHL? And he pointed out, yeah, he's a stay at home, old school defenseman, but he also can stand and get up in the rush. And, and when I heard that, I was, I was a little taken aback. I, you don't really think about Tyler Tucker and his skating ability and, and getting up in, in the Russian transition. So I think right now, the two things that we talked about before, with competitiveness and accountability, you can see why he would lean into Tucker for, for that a little bit, um, just based on the way that he plays, the style he plays. I mean, he's had two fights and three games that Bannister's been around. And so not saying that he's a better player than Scott Perunovich, but that competitiveness is, is more outward facing. Um, you know, I think we see it from Perunovich in different ways, but the way that, that Tucker plays and the style that he brings seems to have brought, the, the coaching staff a little bit more comfort and why they're chasing those things. Yeah. I've never minded Tucker joining the rush that he can do that. It's the turn and recover. 
which yeah. is going to be important for him. Yeah. But, uh, but look at he he took on a big boy, took on a big boy in front of his dad. At, yeah, at that was and that, that was that was for real there. That was about. Uh, Brady's no, it's no joke, man. Matthew's a good talker. Brady's legit. My daughter, who's going to in town, coming in town to watch the Blackhawks game uh, uh, for the holidays, she was most impressed with that. And I said, "Oh, Brady's a Brady's a legit monster." Uh, Matthews talks, and he can fight him, but Brady, irritable. I, I think I think the the last few times I've seen Brady Kachuk in person. I've just been floored by how massive of a human he is. Oh, yeah. Like, he's he's built and he's tall and he's strong and he he does he plays that way too. Like it was, he's an impressive guy. He does not look like an accountant. He looks like a guy that's ready for battle. Right? He just looks <laughs> like. A <guy> <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, full marks. I tell you what, man, and. When Bannister had Tucker down in the minors, he knows what kind of competitor that guy is. And so Tucker's got a spot with this team going forward for some time based on that compete level, that toughness. Somebody's got to be that guy. Bortuzzo's gone. And so, you know, you're going to need guys like a guy like Tucker some nights, and he's there. He's up for it. So Yeah, and, and like they, they still do need Scott Brunovich. You know, they, they do need to see what he has and get him some time. And, like, I don't really want to see him be scratched for six, seven, eight straight games. Uh because we still have no idea what he can do at, for a full-time spot in the NHL. I mean, he hasn't had the season. I don't think anyone would have wanted um, from point production, from the power play, but you still would like to think that there's upside there where you, you kind of know where Tucker's ceiling is. So they still have to get him in the, in the, the, the games in the lineup, but I'm a little bit more okay with the, uh, the rotation just because Perunovic hasn't really done a ton to to ensure that he remains in the lineup. All right. Well, that's the, it for this edition of Netfront Presence. We've kept Matthew a little longer than usual, but with the team out of playing in the Everglades uh, tonight, <laughs> they're not having their skate. And uh, we'll, Matt will need some time to get out to the Everglades to see the game. So we'll let him get to that. Uh, for Matthew DeFranks, I'm Jeff Gordon. This has been the Netfront Presence. A reminder, you can uh, tell your friends you can find this podcast not only on our website stltoday.com but also on your favorite podcast app and if you're not a subscriber digital subscriber to our online product where you can find this podcast man we've got a lot of good stuff on there a lot of video a lot of uh, extra content that you can't get in the print edition which is fine in itself so reminder please do support local journalism we're out here doing the best we can for you uh for matt i'm jeff until next time see ya Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.